Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. Joining me today is writer Marie Brennan, whose latest novella is Gold Forged Flame. Her earlier novels include the Doppelganger books and the fabulous Lady Trent fantasy novels, the first of which, A National History of Dragons, was nominated for the World Fantasy Award in 2014. Welcome, Marie. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Now let's start with the latest, the novella called Forged Flame, a novella about a woman who comes to with no memory of who she is, she doesn't know a thing, other than that she is bound to do a dangerous task for a stranger. Where did the story come from? Uh, it came um, very, very directly uh, from a character that I played in a role-playing game for a number of years, actually. Uh, she was originally invented for a tabletop game that my friend Alice Helms, who is also a, a fantasy novelist and short story writer, uh at the time we were both in college, uh, we met on an archaeological dig, actually, in Wales. Um, and to entertain ourselves, Alyssa decided to run a kind of jury-rigged game uh, using, like, decks of cards in place of dice and the whole bit. So it was the two of us and some friends of ours. And I made a character for that game. And then a few years later, when Alyssa was in graduate school in Indiana, I wound up going to the same school. And she was one of the people running a LARP there that she had kind of brought in some of her ideas from that tabletop game. So I ended up bringing in the same character I'd played before, played her for about four years in that game. And then... A decade later, I heard a song that I associated with that character, and it just all came kind of surging back up into my mind. And I thought, you know, I really kind of want to rework this and figure out how to kind of uh, uh, make it be something that would stand independently and work as a piece of fiction. As an aside, this LARPing stuff, it's not something I grew up with. It's something that I Mm -hmm. found out about much later in life, you know, thanks to the Internet. Um, Yeah. So that just tells you how old I am. But, uh, (laughs) but, But how did that work? You played this character, you said, for a few years, and you said LARP, which means, of course, live-action role-play. Yes. Did you spend time in college being someone else, essentially, which I guess everyone in college does at some level? <laughs> not not as a daily life kind of thing, no. Um, you can... The way that I usually describe live action games to people is it's like improv theater because you are in costume as your character. You are speaking their dialogue. If you want your character to walk across the room, you walk across the room. Um, So it's very much like improv theater, except that it's not directed outward toward an audience. Your audience is everybody else who's playing in the game. But when I say that I played her, when I say that I played her for four years, what I mean is uh, the game had monthly sessions um, and then some stuff that would happen in between those sessions. So it was like a couple times a month for a few hours I was playing this character. Now, there are some really famous amnesiac protagonists in films, especially. Was there anything you tried to avoid with this character? Well, I'll admit that halfway through writing the first draft of the novella, uh, I was on tour with Mary Robinette Kowal at the time, and we were driving to our next tour destination. And I told her how it was going. And then I turned to her and said, I'm writing about a pessimistic amnesiac alone on a deserted island. Nobody's going to want to read this. I just, I was really wondering what I'd done to myself. Um, Because it is difficult to have a protagonist with amnesia. Um, Number one, a lot of times when people are writing that kind of thing, the reason for the amnesia is kind of stupid because um, really the way that it shows up in stories generally isn't the way that real amnesia works. And so I could at least dodge that because the reason my protagonist doesn't remember anything is not normal amnesia. It is a magical thing. Uh, So I didn't have to worry about the realism of it. But when you have somebody who doesn't remember who they are, they usually wind up being very 
vague to the reader as well, right? They're not really much of a character because they're lacking all the things that make characters vivid. So I certainly did have to look as I was writing for ways to make her personality come through, which it helps a little bit. Um, it's difficult to talk about this novella without giving away spoilers, but I'll say that as it goes along, she starts recovering bits and pieces of who she is uh, kind of by an instinctual route. And so I was able to play some games with she'll think of a thing and then stop and go, huh, so apparently I know that kind of thing. All right, that tells me something about myself. Um, and trying to make sure that her personality came through, even if she didn't know why she felt that way. So why this story and why now? Did it start at some as something smaller, an image, a character, or is this part of a larger story that you have you know, ongoing in your head? It is definitely part of a larger story. There's a second novella that will be coming out, I think, on April 25th of next year, which is called Lightning in the Blood. That's the second novella in the series. And then I'm going to be doing some more after that. Uh, we're just trying to currently work out the logistics of how I'm going to go about doing it. So I don't know specifically yet whether... Um, my intent is basically to head toward a novel at some point. I don't know if I'm going to do that sooner or if there's going to be more novellas and then the novel. But definitely, this I before I had a title for Cold Forged Flame, I referred to it as the proof of concept novella because it was me trying to see whether I could actually make this work as fiction by doing a smaller, more self-contained thing. And then once I had done that, saying, okay, now how do I want to approach the rest of the story? Are you satisfied with how that worked out? Yeah, um, I I think the novella actually came out really well. Um, it's been getting some really good reviews, and I'm pleased with how people have responded to it, uh, especially with uh, what you said about the amnesiac protagonist. I've been <laughs> relieved to see people say, despite there being this person with no memory, it works. Um, and I like the way that doing it as the series of novellas or doing it in some kind of broken up installments means I can kind of move the story around a bit more episodically than I would do if it was uh, all being done as novels. Um, because I, I can, it's just, it's the advantage of being able to do a story in the size of installment that any given piece of it needs instead of feeling like everything has to be inflated into a novel. And it also, I suppose, in some way feels like a, a kind of an old-fashioned serialized novel, right? You can space it out and uh, grow it as you will. Exactly. I mean, it's not um, it's not quite the kind of thing where, uh, you know, with the tune in next week to find out. It's not that kind of serialization, but it's a bit more of a, um, a mosaic, if you think of it that way, that it's like, here's these pieces and they interrelate rather than being one continuous thing. Now, I really enjoyed your Lady Trent novel, especially the fact that dragons in the world of these novels are, you know, they're real creatures as much as, you know, goats or dogs. Um, mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? And I have to ask, what did you have to research to make that work? I mean, I kept thinking dinosaurs, you know, Komodos. What, what was it? <laughs> Yes, uh, I did do some research into dinosaurs, also into Komodo dragons, because the name made me feel like I had to put in a nod to them there and then say, nope, they're not really dragons. Um, the idea for it very much came about from two things that uh, both sort of made me look at dragons in that more like what if you were studying them kind of light. Um, one is something that I believe was originally a book, but I knew it as a wall calendar uh, called Dragonology, which is sort of a field guide to dragons. And the other was a Dungeons and Dragons source book actually called the Draconomicon, which had a lot of information on the life cycle of dragons and things like that. Uh, and some beautiful anatomical artwork by Todd Lockwood, who is the artist that has now been doing my covers and in interior art. So kind of full circle there. 
but it meant that going into it with them as natural creatures, I was doing a lot of research into random details of biology. Like at one point it was two o'clock in the morning or something because I work late at night and I'm there online researching giraffe vertebrae <laughs> because I need to figure out how those work. So I took a lot of inspiration from real creatures and yeah, definitely from dinosaurs, sometimes in some less than obvious ways, probably. I love that you're saying that there is a, you know, Dragonomicon, is that what you called it? Economicon, yeah. That, but, but I mean, dragons are made up. So at some level, I suppose you could just make everything up, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're making things up, it's still a question of does what you made up pass the sniff test, right? Does it seem to hold together logically or do you look at it and go, but that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, you know, even things that are made up do have to cohere in some fashion. And I suppose when you put them in the real world, real world, uh, as yeah. with Lady Trent novels, then, you know, the same sort of gravity applies, physics apply, all those things apply. Right. It's um, it's meant to be a realistic world, right? Like to contrast it with Cold Forged Flame, that's a world that sometimes goes much more high fantasy. The island that most of the novella takes place on is not a naturalistic and realistic place. But if I was going to be writing about a protagonist who's a scientist, then she needs to be able to do science. And you can't do science unless things make logical sense, even if it's made up logical sense. Now, I know your academic background is in folklore and anthropology. And which, of course, sounds like the uh, the perfect mix for writing fantasy. Do you think you were always going to be a fantasy writer? Oh, yeah. I decided when I was like nine that I was going to do this. <laughs> um, I, I really did make up my mind fairly young. And it had always been that I thought, OK, I will do writing fantasy and something else. And these days I actually just write full time. But yes, I, I set myself on this path a long time ago. So who were the writers you loved when you were younger? And are they, are they still the writers you go back to now, or do you think your tastes have sort of changed and evolved drastically? Oh, there's definitely people I loved then that I wouldn't be so interested in now. Um, but definitely uh, Diana Wynne-Jones, who was a British uh, children's and young adult fantasy author, she's the one that I credit with making me a writer, because when I say it was age nine or thereabouts that I decided I wanted to be a fantasy writer, it was because of one of her books, um, a novel called Fire and Hemlock. I... Uh, Loved her books then. I still love them now. Uh, some of them, obviously, more than others, because anybody who wrote that much, you're not going to love everything equally. Uh, but her work has held up very well. And so have a number of authors I liked as a child, um, like uh, uh, Zilpha Keatley Snyder, who also wrote some beautiful fantasy stuff. Uh, she's held up really well. It's not one of those cases where years later you go back to a book and say, ah, oh, the suck fairy paid it a visit. <laughs> the Lives of Brisbane John remains my single most favorite book ever in the world. That was my first of her books that I read. It was my first uh, as well, and I think that's why. Yeah, yeah, and it means that I always look at the Crestomancy books like from Christopher's perspective rather than from Cat's. Yeah, and everybody else is like, "No, it's more about Cat." Like, what are you talking about? I honestly, I could. It's a horrible thing to say. But I don't really care so much about the rest of the Crestomancy books as much as I care about the lives of Christopher John. Like, it was a huge turning point for me as a, you know, about I think maybe ten year old reader. Yeah, exactly. That was right around the time that I read it. Yeah, and I imprinted on it pretty hard. I still have my original copy. It was the first book I bought with my own money. Oh, wow. I don't... That. Yeah, no, I, I do not have my original copy. I do own it, but not the, the same version. Now, do you or did you have a favorite dragon story? So it's funny. I, I have been asked some variant on that question the whole time that I've been writing this series. And the, the truth is, 
like not exactly. Um, I can name stories that I love that have dragons in them, but I'm not somebody who was ever that obsessed with them. I, I it, it could have been a natural history of unicorns, I suppose, if I'd run across a unicornology and unicornomicon. I don't even know what those words would be. Uh, <laughs> but you know, if I'd run across different things that sparked my brain, it might have been a different magical creature. I think it works well that it's dragons because they are a concept that there's related and similar versions of that all around the world. So I can have dragons be a worldwide biological thing and, and have my character studying many different kinds of them. So I think it has a degree of flexibility that other fantasy creatures wouldn't have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love Maleficent is my favorite Disney villain because she turns into a fricking dragon. How can you not love that? Um, or Patricia C. Reedy's uh, uh, Enchanted Forest series with uh, dealing with dragons being the first book. Uh, Cimmerine was one of my favorite characters. So there's certainly things I love that had dragons in them. What was the first story you wrote? Do you remember? Oh, the first one that I remember writing, I, I think I wrote something in... Rather, I know I wrote something in second grade for a school assignment because I remember one of my friends getting feedback on his story from the teacher, but I don't honestly remember what I wrote. So the earliest thing I remember um, was maybe a year later than that, where there was a woman looking after me and my brother and some uh, friends of ours for the summer. And she taught us how to make books where you could take like pieces of cardboard and some fabric and glue the fabric onto the boards and stitch the pages into it and make a little book. And at that time, I was uh, much more of a mystery reader than a fantasy one. So I wrote a mystery story about a, a girl named Jessica whose cat was stolen. Um, I cannot claim that it was any great literature. The book is gone now. I kind of wish it uh, a good journey to whatever uh, dumpster it's ended up in because, yeah, it was not good. When you, when you started writing, um, let's put it this way, as an adult, right? Yeah. Moving on from, from the, the, the cat mystery. Um, when you, did you start with short stories or did you go full throttle into novels? I don't actually know this about you, whether you started with one form or you prefer one form to the other. I, I definitely started with one form and that one form was unfinished novel. Um, <laughs> I gra very much gravitated toward the longer form. Uh, when I tried to write short stories, they were terrible. They were either plotless vignettes or me trying to cram an entire novel's story into short story length and neither of those works very well. Um, so yes, I, I wrote a number of unfinished novels and then I usually say kind of as a joke, but partly seriously, that of the basic skills that you need to be competent as a novelist, the last one that I acquired was the ability to finish what I started. So the first book that I completed was actually, I mean, it wasn't brilliant uh, in its first draft, but it was a competent, theoretically publishable novel because I had already gotten the hang of all of the kind of plotting and characterization basics. Um, and I will say that after a number of revisions uh, that very much tightened up the book and made it stronger. Uh, that first novel actually has been published. It's Lies and Prophecy, which came out from Bookview Cafe in 2012. Can you write multiple stories, if in different forms, at the same time? I ask this because I know next year you've got both a follow-up to Cold Forge Flame, as you were talking about earlier, and you've got the last of the Lady Trent books out as well. Of course, that doesn't mean you wrote them simultaneously, but I did wonder what your process in, say, balancing deadlines or different books was. Uh, it definitely is a bit of a, a juggling game. Um, I do have them coming out. I think they're actually coming out on the same day, the last of the memoirs and the second of the Varakai novellas. Um, 
but I did not write them at the same time. It can happen that I will write a short story while I'm working on a novel, um, because a short story is small enough that I can have the whole idea in my head, and sometimes if it's short enough, I can write it in a single sitting. Um, I actually... I guess I didn't do them at the same time, but I wrote both Cold Forged Flame and then almost immediately afterward, A Lady Trent short story uh, while I was on tour. Um, so, I mean, the, the short story I wrote in a single afternoon. So I can do something like that while I'm working on a novel. But for the most part, it is a matter of figuring out how to schedule things so that I can work on them serially rather than in parallel, because it is difficult to keep two things going in my head at the same time. Now, I have a question that doesn't fit in with the rest of the questions, but I'm going to ask it anyway. A witch, a dragon, and an amnesiac walk into a bar. What happens next? The bar burns down. <laughs> right away. <laughs> I'm like, you would think that's because of the dragon, but I think it's because of the amnesiac, at least if it's re. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, of course, naturally read into that, that the witch is going to be out of my doppelganger books, the dragon is out of the Lady Trent stuff, and that the amnesiac is the one from Cold Forge Flame, so... Yeah, that really just seems like it's going to end with the bar burning down. <laughs> that would be a very short story. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I'd, but be, I, I I'd be interested to know what happened next <laughs> after <laughs> it burned down. Yeah, that um, uh, that would take some thought. I'd have to decide which type of dragon it is, because yeah. at this point, five books and one short story into the series, I've got a bunch of different types flying around, so I'd have to figure out which one. That would change the uh, the effects quite a lot. Do you ever think about what would happen if characters from your different books met? Oh, yeah. Um, like, there used to be a, a meme that would go around in the days when everybody was on live journal of, like, okay, your characters, uh, you know, they get into a, a cage match. Who wins? Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I, I have thought from time to time, my sister likes to joke about how some of my characters will form a support group together uh, and get together and complain about all the horrible things I've done to them. Uh, some of them, I think, would get along pretty well. Others would not have much to say to one another. And I know it's, it's people always say it's like choosing your favorite child, but, um, you know, I know you can choose a favorite child. Uh, some, <laughs> some can. But would you, do you have a character that, okay, let's put it this way, a character you enjoyed writing the most uh, that could be because they were the biggest challenge or perhaps because they were the easiest and came to you you know fully formed as it were yeah definitely the most fun to write has been lady trent because just the voice of that series that it, it just clicked into place the moment i started writing i was less than a page into the first book when i had her voice down um and because the the style of it, it's got that slightly over the top, I'm an old lady and nobody can tell me what to say, but I'm talking about the foolish things that I did when I was young. And it's got the kind of dry Victorian lady humor and just the fact that Isabella can go off into these digressions in the middle of something that she's narrating. I just had a lot of fun with that. Are you ready to say goodbye to her? Well, I... Yes and no. I mean, I, I have finished the uh, draft and the revisions of uh, Within the Sanctuary of Wings, which is the fifth book and final book. Sorry to everybody who is now wailing because I've gotten a number of readers saying they'd like the series to go on from now to the end of time. Um, and when I finished the draft, I wrote the last couple of paragraphs and I, I made myself sniffle. I'll admit it. I'm not the sort of writer who often makes myself cry with my writing, but I, I got a little misty eyed. Um, because I was saying to some friends that I think because the narration is this first person where it feels like she is specifically telling her story to an audience, um, 
you know, combination of that and just her personality means that I feel like I've spent five years hanging out with her and now she's moving away and I'm not going to get to see her anymore, right? It feels like that kind of division almost. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think... I ended in the right place. I don't intend to come back and go, wait, no, there's more. Um, I always knew that I was building toward a specific ending and the the, fi the fifth and final book takes us there. Uh, so I am ready to move on, but that doesn't mean it isn't a little sad. Did you know where you were headed like with book one? You knew where this her story was going to conclude right then? Um, yeah, I mean, in uh, I, not in completely specific terms, because I'm terrible at outlining. So I'm not the sort of person who had, I, I never do like a chapter by chapter outline for a book. It's not that nailed down. But and you, you can kind of see the shape of this in the the very forward of the first book. Um, it was always going to be, okay, there's this huge discovery that she made that made her the most famous dragon naturalist in the world, and it's why she's so widely respected and so well-known. And so it was always going to be the story of that discovery. And I did know from the start of the series what it was going to be, because it would have been stupid to launch into it not having any idea, because then you find yourself painted into a corner going, man, nothing I can think of feels like it's big enough. <laughs> And then you find yourself inventing all sorts of new dragons to fill in yeah. the gaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I invented a lot of stuff along the way. And certainly the details of how that discovery happened, I worked that out later on. But I always knew in kind of broad terms what I was building toward. Well, I'm looking forward to that now. Well, I, I hope it uh, lives up to the weight. So now you've got the last, you're, you're finishing off this one series that's been a large part of your life for all these years. And you've just started this new um, you know, the new novellas out and you've just started potentially what's going to be a longer, you know, series. i use that word for lack of a better word right now that may develop yeah. into something bigger. Um, what else is going on? Is there stuff that's constantly like new stuff coming off the back burner? You know, you've, you're retiring, as it were, Lady Trent. So is someone else mm -hmm. going to take her place? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's always the case that you need to have an eye on what you're going to do next. And really, it's, for me at least, there's kind of this seething mass of possible what am I doing next? And it's which one rises to the top at any given moment. Um, as it happens, a couple of the things that I've got on deck for new developments, uh, many of them are in a stage where I can't talk about them. Uh, <clears throat> so the one that I'll, I'll focus on is the Wilder series that I've been doing with Bookview Cafe. Um, that's one that I've been doing. Uh, I, I did a Kickstarter for the second book, Chains and Memory, and I am hoping in the near future to run a Kickstarter for the third and final book of that series, which would be Vows and Legacy. Um, I The only reason I haven't set up that Kickstarter yet is just because I'm trying to figure out what my schedule is for everything that I have under contract. <laughs> and once I know those things, then I can slot in this side project among them. I don't want to commit to that and then find myself in a situation where I'm having to really let my Kickstarter backers down because I don't have it ready yet. Okay, one last question. What's the most exciting thing you've read recently, other than your own work, of course? Oh, um, recently... I've, that's a little difficult just because, well, I, I mean, in some ways not. Uh, I went on a binge of rereading and then finally reading for the first time um, the uh, the Lord Peter Whimsey Mysteries by Dorothy Sayers. Now, that's not something new. Obviously, those came out in like the 30s. Um, but I had read most of the series out of order at one point or another people who know the series, I will say, I had never actually gotten around to reading Gaudy Night, uh, which is kind of the whole reason people love that series. Um, so I finally read those recently and, and really, really loved him. Um, but that's not something new. Uh, 
oh god, what have I been reading that's new? I am having trouble looking past the entire Peter Whimsey series to remember what I was reading before that. Uh, I'm in the middle of Mary Robinette Kowal's Ghost Talkers, which uh, I've heard her read bits of that when we were on tour um, and been really looking forward to it since before it was out. So I, I finally have my hands on it and I'm about halfway through the book. Uh, that's um, <clears throat> World War One uh, historical fantasy where the British are using a spirit corps to get the ghosts of dead soldiers to report in and give them intelligence on what's happening out at the front. And then intrigue happens. So That's a solid recommendation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mary's books are great. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. Well, thank you again for uh, scheduling this. I know it's a little difficult given the time difference and my odd schedule. So, But I think we managed. Yes, we did. We're both awake. It's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, I've been talking in my sleep this whole time. You're very good at it. Most. Yeah, most yeah. I'm much I'm more impressed. articulate than I am when I'm awake. <laughs> we'll, we'll, next time we'll reschedule and, you know, wait till I'm asleep. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you.